0: Hey friends, this is uh, the last week of our look at the letter to the Philippians. This is a letter that we've chosen to focus on, to meditate on, to learn from, specifically with everything going on around us right now, with all of the disruption and the pain and the confusion, whether it's COVID or whether it's uh, the reckoning with racial injustice that we are working through right now, or, or whether it's something going on in your life that might be connected to those things or completely independent of them. Here, we've got a letter about working through the most difficult kinds of circumstances, finding joy in the midst of those circumstances, discovering the possibility of God right there in the worst moments and the hardest experiences, uh, laying down our privilege for the sake of the other. Uh, and today we're going to look at um, a strange detail in the letter, and then some of the instructions that the letter gives for like like how we can walk this out. And so I'm going to start here in chapter three, uh, verses one through four, with a strange sort of. Um, like a conflict that Paul's referring to that seems to be going on in the community. Uh, we'll work this out together. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself, Have reasons for such confidence and then he goes on to list that sort of resume of the ego that we have referred to in earlier teachings Uh, but he speaks here of um, these dogs these evildoers these mutilators of the flesh for it's we who are the circumcision well this is one of those moments in these letters where they can be very confusing because often in the letters in the new testament the writer will refer to something outside the letter a person or a situation, a circumstance, a question, a theological conundrum happening outside the letter, and they'll sort of point to it and and make instructions about it, but they won't always tell you exactly what's going on. So I know that can be confusing. Let me explain what seems to be happening here in Philippians 3. Uh, Paul, uh, a Jewish Christian, has been going around planting churches and inviting Jews and Gentiles who come from radically different experiences and social and religious contexts and even moral sensibilities uh, into this uncommon beloved community that seems to have never really been seen before on planet earth where um, all the identity markers are abandoned so that we can find belonging with people that come from different places and senses of belonging so he's doing this work and one big piece in the puzzle one critical piece in the puzzle is that belonging to this community is also a a sign and an experience of belonging with God, uh, reconciled to God and to one another. And that that reconciliation has nothing to do with you jumping through any hoops or proving yourself or attaining anything. It's a gift from God that we embrace, that we accept, that we open our hearts up to. So that's, that's like right there in the heart of the message. But then there's other teachers going around who are telling the Gentile Christians that you've gotta become Jewish if you want to be Christian. And for them, in particular, to become Jewish is for the men to be circumcised. So uh, Paul's message at the heart of this gospel is the belonging that we are being invited into with God and with one another is something we don't have to prove by jumping through a hoop or by being circumcised for the men. He says, uh, it's, just a, it's a gift that we simply participate in. And then these other teachers are saying, no, the gift has conditions attached and you've gotta be circumcised. Uh, and When I've thought about that, I've wondered like, what kind of preacher would you have to be to convince an adult Gentile male to get circumcised at an era with no modern surgical techniques or anesthetic? Like you'd have to be a pretty good preacher, right? Like you'd have to be quite convincing to talk somebody into that, I would think. But there's something else going on in the context, especially in Philippi, that scholars have argued makes more sense of why this teaching was attractive to some people and why why Paul had to work so hard to warn them against it. So if you're in Philippi, you're in a very proudly Roman colony, a very patriotic colony, a place where people take it upon themselves to, to do their civic duty as part of a Roman colony. And for them at this time, a lot of what that means is participation in what are sometimes called civic cults or sometimes called imperial cults, which means that pagan worship and temples and temple practices are all sort of wed to uh, a worship of the emperor and of the empire. And so. so you have this idea that if you appease the gods in the civic cults and imperial temples, that you'll be doing your part to ensure favor on the emperor and the empire. And if you don't show up and participate in these pagan idolatrous practices, that you're, uh, you're a liability for the community because uh, perhaps you're, uh, you're disloyal or you're not doing your part, or worse yet, you might invoke the wrath of the gods who don't see you honoring them for what it is to be part of this empire. So if you're a Gentile Christian, uh, and because of what you've understood in Christ, that first of all, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is, which means your allegiance isn't to any particular partisan or political power of the day, but rather to God who liberates all of us and calls us uh, to build a kind of beloved community where everybody belongs, apart from those structures of hierarchy and partisan divide. So you've you've been liberated out of that because Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't. And, you, and you've been called out of some of the, what you might call depraved practices that happen in those temple spaces. Like those things are not what we are made for, not what we are here for, so like don't do those things. So you, you've been called out of that by Christ and you wanna be faithful to that calling, but you're, uh, you're then suspect in the eyes of your neighbors because you're not participating uh, like a good citizen in the civic cult. Now there might be one way out for you, which is though Jews at the time did not participate in the idolatry of the civic cult, the empire had sort of negotiated uh, some license for good Jews. Basically to say, hey, look, if you're Jewish, we get it. You're not gonna be part of this stuff. So as long as you're Jewish, we've got uh, a loophole in the social contract and you're gonna be okay. But if you're a Gentile Christian, you've opted out of the cult, but you're not Jewish. You're not circumcised. You're not part of the Jewish uh, family in the ways that that was indicated then. And so you're really on the outside looking in in both directions. And so these teachers come along and suggest uh, that in spite of what Jesus has done, you still gotta be Jewish to be reconciled to this community or to God. And if you're one of these Gentile men, you might be thinking, well, if I do that, uh, I might be a little more respectable, a little more understandable. I might fit in a little better. It's a way of going along to get along in this social context. Uh, But Paul seems to be saying like, It might seem a little bit more comfortable to do that, but in fact, by doing so, you're gonna be turning your back on the very thing that you've been awakened to, which is like the gift that God has given God's self to us in Christ, that God has liberated us in Christ, that God has made it very clear that there are no hoops to jump through or laws to obey that we have to accomplish to attain some sort of conditional acceptance in God, because that's just not the way that God works. And so uh, Paul seems really concerned that that this project not be compromised by this teaching, but he also seems to know that if our compass becomes the desire to avoid suffering, the desire to avoid pain or awkwardness, if, if our compass is, how can I just go along to get along and stop having to swim upstream, then we're gonna end up slowly forsaking the very liberating possibility we've discovered in God. And so Paul warns these people, He says, like, don't go along with this, man. Uh, It suggests, by the way, that one of the reasons Paul keeps talking about suffering in this letter, whether he reminds them of Christ's suffering or his own suffering or Epaphroditus' suffering, is because Paul knows that there are things that are worse than suffering. There are things that are worse than pain. Now, look, I'm all for alleviating all the suffering we can. And I don't think we should fetishize suffering or that we should be gluttons for punishment. I don't think we should try to make ourselves martyrs. But if your mission in life is to avoid suffering, you might end up with things that are worse than suffering like losing yourself, losing your heart, losing your liberation, losing the very things that God has come to give us. And so Paul's calling uh, the people in the letter and he's calling you and me to a way of being in the world that digs its roots so deep that we can't be shaken by pain or suffering, that we keep growing and going in the right direction. Now, um, if that's some of the heart of this letter, that he's trying to help these people take hold of their courage and no joy in the midst of hard things rather than avoiding the hard things. Then that also makes sense for what he does a little bit later. So in chapter four, as he's wrapping the whole letter up, he says again, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, the Lord is near, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, bring it to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, We have to be thoughtful about texts like this. Uh, He's setting up a contrast between being anxious and being prayerful. And uh, one thing we need to be careful about is like, It's very clear that anxiety isn't always a sign that you've done anything wrong. You might be the most spiritual grounded person in the world and still struggle with it. Anxiety for you might be psychological, it might be uh, medical, it might be a bunch of things. And just because you're struggling with anxiety may not mean that you're like like not doing your part to pray. I wanna be really, really clear about that. It's not unlike depression. Like if you're struggling with depression, that may not mean that your faith is weak or that you've done something wrong. That may not be a sign of some sin that's like working its way out in your life. It might be uh, just what you're dealing with, whether it's brain chemistry or past trauma, uh, we could go down the list. So I wanna be really clear about that. But just because we recognize uh, that anxiety may not be a sign of some spiritual weakness or failure, doesn't mean that we shouldn't like hear the power uh, uh, and the encouragement of this text. He says, the Lord is near. And we said during our Lenten series that you might define holiness as becoming present to the presence of God. And it seems that uh, though God is near, uh, that God does not insist on asserting God's presence. Uh, Perhaps it's because that's what love looks like, that God doesn't assert God's presence, but God simply offers it if we want to become present to that presence. And Paul's writing a letter to people who are swimming upstream against the cultural waters And because of what has been awakened in them and the ways that Christ has liberated them, they might be seen by their neighbors as a threat. They might be seen by their neighbors through a lens of suspicion. So like what is happening in them, the the power and the life that is emerging in this church is also setting them at odds with the way things are around them, which means they're gonna have a hard road to walk. And then he keeps saying rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And here he says, the Lord is near, but you've gotta choose. You've gotta activate. You've gotta be intentional about being present to the presence of God and if you do that, you will discover a peacefulness breaking in even when the powers that be might be warring all around you. And um, we can celebrate the good news of this letter to the Philippians all day long. I can preach to you about the fact that in Christ we've discovered that it's in the very nature of God for God to give God's self up, to relinquish privilege and to lay his life down, that we're being called into the same kind of pattern. We can celebrate a text that says the joy is possible even in the worst kinds of things. We could go on and on, but if we don't let this text direct our practice, uh, we might miss out on its best riches. And we kind of talked about this last week, right? That um, And the idea of practice is not performance is, failure is not fatal, except the failure to show up. And if you don't show up to practice, there's nowhere you can go from there. And I think here Paul's, uh, reminding us that the way that we are going to keep walking um, in the direction of devotion and liberation, the ways that we are going to keep seeing the pattern of Christ lived out in our world, where privilege is laid down and the lower lifted up, is if we become the kind of people who practice the presence of God uh, through prayer, through trusting request. And uh, I don't know about you. I thought COVID might be a time where spiritual practices were easier. Uh, In reality, they've been harder for me. Uh, but even today as i've been working through this text i find myself um, knowing that it's time to recommit to patterns and practices of prayer to anything that helps me become present to the presence of god for you maybe it's a walk in the woods and maybe it's in the woods where you remember that something is giving life to all of this and it's not you um maybe it's prayers with the text whether it's that philippians to him or the pages of the psalms Uh, maybe, maybe it's prayers with song Um, Maybe it's um, simply five minutes of quiet without much content, where you simply try to bring yourself back again and again to being present with the presence of God. Uh, Paul is saying there are all of these pressures on us. Uh, In the day of the Philippians, it's uh, the mutilators, the dogs trying to get them to be circumcised, and it's the false teachers, and it's the powers of the Roman Empire. In our day too, there are all of these pressures and powers that are set up against our liberation and against our devotion to God and against our love for one another. And if we don't take that seriously, we're gonna wake up one day and wonder how we ended up downstream in the place where we don't wanna be, becoming the kinds of people that we don't wanna be. But Paul is saying in this letter, it's possible to live out the life of Christ, to swim upstream against the current and to build the beloved community uh, where everyone's slave, free, Jew or Gentile, male, female, like all find belonging with one another, uh, but only if we're intentional about it. And today I think uh, for anyone who wants to like get their hands on the joy that Paul keeps describing as a possibility, I think I'd say like, uh, what are you going to do to cultivate a a way of being present to the presence of God? Um, These letters, like I said earlier, they always point beyond themselves, but not just in terms of circumstances and conflicts, they also point beyond themselves because they're pointing us to an experience that um, we have to claim for ourselves. Like it won't do that Paul has had an experience that gives him joy, and it won't do if I've had an experience that gives me joy preaching to you and telling you about it. The only thing that matters in the end uh, for anyone trying to come to this text is that like we would claim it for ourselves, right? And so um, as we wrap up Philippians and turn the page towards some new ideas in the weeks ahead, uh, Church, I kinda wanna call you out. (laughs) and say, um, uh, we are being invited to a beautiful uh, but countercultural way of life. And if we wake up every day and say yes to what Christ is calling us to, we will find that there is some resistance to it. And that with that resistance might become um, some pain, some attacks and some suffering. Uh, But the way that we will sustain ourselves is by finding the joy that's available when we become present to that loving presence of God. When you do that, you might find yourself experiencing what Paul says next, uh, right here in Philippians 4, uh, when he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, he says, whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I think we've learned um, very intensely in the last couple of months that we can't always choose paths without suffering or pain, but we can choose how we walk these paths. And when suffering and pain come, we can be the people who practice the way of Jesus, who become present to the presence of God and discovering that good and abiding joy and peace that will carry us through. I love you, friends. Uh, I hope the text is helping you Uh, spend more time with it, Uh, let it work out your heart a little bit, and uh, I hope that in the midst of everything breaking around us, you will find the joy that Paul speaks of. Grace and peace.